Welcome to the Grace South Bay Church Podcast. I'm Matt Cabot, your host and elder at Grace South Bay. Each week we have a Q&A conversation with our pastors about their sermons. We talk theology and we get into the Bible. And we discuss how to live out our faith as Christians in the Silicon Valley and beyond. Today we continue our conversation on our fall sermon series from the Gospel of John. In a sermon titled Transaction Denied, Pastor Stephen unpacks the familiar story of Jesus chasing the merchants out of the temple. Stephen defines transactional Christianity, and he explores what happens when worship becomes commercialized. We'll discuss all that and more today as we dive into John chapter 2, verses 13 through 25. Glad you're with us. Let's dig in. So, Stephen, this this episode in John reminds me of the scene in Mission Impossible when Tom Cruise's character was accused of being very upset. And his response was, you've never seen me very upset. Okay. I have forgotten about that. That's a good, yeah. So here we see Jesus very upset, but but why? Yeah. So um, it's Passover, right? Uh, Which is the Jewish festival commemorating God rescuing Israel from slavery in Egypt, and each year thousands and thousands of Jews head up to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, and part of that is offering sacrifices, thousands and thousands of sacrifices. And Josephus, the great Jewish historian, records that at one Passover, over 220,000 lambs were slaughtered. Wow, that's a lot of lambs. That's a ton. Yeah. Um, and, and as humans tend to do with most things over time, it became somewhat of a business for the shepherds in and around Jerusalem, or, or you know, the livestock owners, I guess. I mean, think about it. If a family is traveling from Jericho, let's say, um, and they don't have to bring a lamb with them, or a pigeon, or a bull, or whatever they're going to sacrifice, if they can just pack their family up and go on the trip, and then buy an animal to sacrifice when they get there, that's so much easier. It's do, so much do you think more that there might have been some marital discord if they're in their, their caravan, and, um, you know, maybe the husband and the wife says, honey, did you pack the lamb? What? Right. You forgot the lamb? I mean, let's let's just say maybe that's how this whole thing got started. <laughs> Uh, and then they had to ask uh, a friend when they got there, hey, can we uh, buy one off buy you, your... right? <laughs> yeah. Um, who, who knows, how, like, what exactly started the practice of purchasing rather than bringing? Mm. But here, uh, the the livestock owners have set up their sales tables in the court of the Gentiles, which is the, mm. the largest part of the temple structure. It was the furthest away from the inner sanctuary, the Holy of Holies, and it was the place where people who were not uh, Jewish males could stand and consider the teachings of God, consider the stories of God's faithfulness to his people, and consider becoming part of the Jewish community, right? And, and the selling of animals, the livestock vendors, have taken that area over. Now, on top of that, um, each year, the every male, uh, Jewish male, had to pay a temple tax to help keep the temple mm. running, to pay for some of the needs of the Levites who were overseeing the temple, things like that, and they were supposed to pay it in the Tyrian silver shekel, because it was the highest percentage pure silver, easiest for them to pay, and it was like a half shekel per male, and so often... 
the families would come together. They would exchange the money that they had. I mean, who has a Tyrian silver shekel just hanging yeah, exactly, around? Right? Exactly. So you have the livestock uh, vendors, and you have the money changers there to help people engage with this uh, festival, with Passover. And this is a place that is supposed to be reverent, right? Respectful, mm. focus on the presence of God. And this is obviously a very loud, chaotic market. People are haggling, change is clanging, right? Jesus is upset, to put it simply, mm-hmm. because there's no room for God, right? Mm. In, in Physically, in the temple, the focus is not on God. The focus is not allowing people to engage with Him. In their own hearts and minds, they're focused on, right? Like, when you go shopping in a grocery store, think about the time you went shopping right before COVID. Uh, it was a madhouse, right? And yeah. it was hard to get through. There's no way for you to focus on anything except the person and the people and the stuff right in front of you. And that's what's happening in the temple. And Jesus gets upset about this, um, and it's wondering, you know, we, we know that Jesus lived a sin, sinless life. Um, here he's pretty angry. Isn't anger a sin? No, anger is not uh, a sin. Uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4 says, be angry and do not sin. Do not mm. let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil, right? There is a difference between anger and sin. Now, for most of us as as humans that are not God incarnate, anger uh, often leads to sinning. Maybe most often leads to sinning, right? Whether it's action or inaction, right? Like our, our anger can lead us to do something destructive or hurtful to someone else or ourselves, but then also being angry and not acting on it can lead to bitterness, which just mm-hmm. eats us from the inside out, right? That's, mm-hmm. That is... <clears throat> anger becoming sinfulness, right? But Jesus here sees injustice. He sees the lack of worship going on and the focus on this commercialization, depriving the Gentiles of space to worship God, and he gets angry at that. Mm. He acts on that anger justly, not sinfully, but justly. And so in that, he is angry and does not sin. So how does this story undermine the sort of the felt board depiction of the meek and mild Jesus. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for those of us who grew up in the church <laughs> and had boards. the, yeah, the felt, felt board stories, um, you know, I, like I said, most of us experience anger leading to sin, mm-hmm. explosive rage, hurtful words, violence even, or bitterness and just a complete uh, life takeover of the anger that you have towards someone, right? The downward spiral of bitterness and, And so when we think about, you know, prim, proper, nice Jesus, we want him not to be angry or not have any kind of negative emotion, because negative emotion leads often to negative actions, and that's got to be bad, right? Right. Um, So we see this, and it it is hard, somewhat confusing for us to see Jesus with negative emotion and think, this is okay, right? It's it's somewhat um, irreconcilable in our minds that he can be angry and not be sinning because we've experienced anger and sin so closely together from ourselves and from others as well. But he also was on a mission. I mean, he came in, came to earth to, to, you know, to save. And there was, there was, that was a big battle rescue, wasn't it? 
Yeah, this that, is yeah. you know this is this is this is a major part, which is why John moves the the history of this account from the end of Jesus's earthly ministry, where this probably happened, to the beginning of the gospel account. Mm-hmm. Right. That, that that's important because this sets a tone for the rest of Jesus's ministry that John will recount in the successive chapters. Yeah, so right before this episode in the second chapter of John, the author records a very different story, Jesus turning water into wine at a wedding celebration. Uh, What do you think John is trying to convey to his listeners about Jesus, about Jesus by putting these two stories back to back? I I tried to kind of shortly express this in the sermon. If you boil down the water into wine scenario, all the details in there show us, and John is trying to show his audience, that Jesus coming and and becoming the focal point of worship, rather than the way that the Jews had been worshiping God for, for generations, is an exchange from uh, practice and activity and uh, perfecting action to joy, right? Like mm. the, the water to wine scenario is all about how Jesus brings eternal joy to us, guaranteed, and uh, joy, eternal joy to us now and then forever, right? Eternal, not in the sense of chronology, but eternal in the sense of fullness, right? This is the, the most joyful that you can be. Jesus guarantees it forever, and he brings some of that to you now, right? Now, this scene in the temple is about truth, Jesus is establishing, re-establishing, reinforcing the truth uh, that God has revealed to his people throughout time, right? He's re-establishing the idea of God's holiness, his value on relationship, God's presence among his people, his desire to engage with people. Um, All those truths continue to come out throughout Jesus's life and ministry, throughout the rest of the book of John. And specifically, the truth that we need someone to rescue us from our sin and broken relationship with God, someone to reestablish our relationship with God. John is is showing us here at the beginning that this man from Nazareth was God himself who willingly died in order to reconcile us to God. That should lead us away from routine religion, routine practice, into joyous worship and joyous living like the living that he we see at the wedding feast. One of the uh, the comparisons you made, or applications maybe, from the passage. Oh, here we have Jesus being upset about the transactions that were going on, right. and you use the term transactional Christianity in your sermon. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I think to put it simply, all right, being a Christian for what you get out of it, right? It's all about mm. the exchange. I show up on Sunday morning, and God makes my life better. I have more friends. I can network. I can benefit in some way. Maybe my life is more peaceful, more happy, whatever it is. Or even like to really follow Jesus by reading, praying, meditating, fasting, giving, whatever it is, as long as I get something out of it, right? Mm. It reminds me of uh, Isaiah 29, where the Lord says, this people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. Hmm. Right? Transactional Christianity is about giving so much to God in order to get so much in return, and God doesn't want 
so much. He doesn't just want your actions or your your memory verses or or your attendance and worship. He wants all of you. So if we unpack this further, um, is there a way that we have turned God's church into a marketplace today? Yes, I, I would say for sure in, in a different way, right? In the sense of exchange, like I, I was just talking about, um, I'm in it for whatever profit I can extract. Um, and, and we see this often with the idea of like being a consumer of the church. I'm going to engage, I'm going to pursue, I'm going to push in, I'm going to participate as long as I'm getting a measurable return of my investment, if that makes mm-hmm, sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it requires more of me than I'm receiving, then I'm probably going to disengage, right? And, and I think we saw a fair amount of this at the beginning uh, of COVID, and, and people were starting to recognize that there wasn't as much return on their investment when we weren't gathering in, in person, mm-hmm. right? Like watching... Watching a service online didn't make anybody feel the way that being in person felt, and so people stopped watching online. And, and to some extent, that comes out of a consumerist mindset, that I'm here as long as I can get something out of it. And that's that's how we, particularly in America, view the marketplace, right? I'm going to participate in this uh, exchange of goods and services as long as what I'm putting in is reciprocated to some measure. And that's what we've done to following God and participating in church today. So you also use the term commercialization of worship. Um, What did you mean by that? Yeah, so clearly in this uh, passage, what we see is that the people who are selling the livestock, who are exchanging money, um, are benefiting, profiting in some way by selling Mm -hmm. these animals to people so that they can participate in the festival uh, of Passover, you know, offering these lambs a sacrifice, paying the temple tax, whatever it might be. Now, in the other gospel accounts, um, it seems like they are revealing Jesus's frustration as focusing on the shady dealing of these mm. sellers, livestock sellers, right? They may be charging too high of a of an exchange rate. They're not, you know, being honest and forthright in their business practices, whatever it might be. But particularly here in John's account, Jesus's anger is not focused on their, uh, you know, moral corruption. They're not mm-hmm. doing things wrong that he sees and is angry at. They have lost sight of God, right? So they've they're 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 corrupting worship in the sense that it has become only about how they profit, mm-hmm. you know. And and I think that's a big deal for us because when we talk about commercialization of worship today, it's easy for us to start <clears throat> thinking about how can we uh, build up, uh, you know, our our for lack of the way that a lot of pastors and and church leaders talk about it is nickels and noses. How do we make mm-hmm. more money? How do we get more, you know, uh, rear ends and seats? Like, how do, how, do, how do we bring more people in? What do we need to do? Um, and a lot of the time, it comes down to show. Like, we want to make sure we put on a good show. And I, I think, for me, it's a similar thing. We're, we're commercializing worship. How can we uh, increase? How can we build up? How can we grow? How can we be better? And that is exactly what the folks there at the temple are doing. They're trying to make their lives better, not by 
worshiping incorrectly or not by doing, you know, having shady business dealings, being morally corrupt, but by focusing on themselves, by focusing on what they can get out of it and by helping others participate in this exchange of goods and services rather than giving their whole heart to God, which is what worship is. Mm-hmm. And I know at Grace South Bay, we really try to make sure that our focus is always on not doing that. But for the, the, the two listeners who don't go to our church, uh, that was a joke. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's assuming looking... there are more than two listeners. Oh, that's great. Exa- well, that's true. Yeah, your mom and my mom. Um, so for, for, for someone looking for a church, uh, what are some general guidelines for finding a, a healthy church? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I would say there, there's a ton of stuff, but the, the first couple things that I would say is really important is to find a church where the Bible is preached. Um, so there's a focus on proclaiming the Word of God. Um, and, you know, you see some, some pastors who have a Bible on their pulpit or their music stand, or whatever they're preaching from, but they never reference it once. That's, not, mm. that's generally not a good sign. Yeah. Um, I would say if, if you find a place where you Scripture is being read, where you hear uh, the truth of the gospel proclaimed that Jesus is the one who has done the work for us, and that in Jesus our you know seat at the family table is secure, and the the calling of God is to repent of your <clears throat> sins and believe in what Jesus has done that those establish really good health markers for the rest of church culture, right? Now, mm-hmm. not always, uh, but um, in most places, if if the Bible is being preached and Jesus is the focus of worship, that that's a good sign. The next thing I would say is, uh, if you can walk into a church and you get to meet someone in leadership face-to-face or are invited to meet someone in leadership face-to-face, whether actually you, you do or not, that's a really good sign. Because mm-hmm. that means that it's not uh, kind of like a you know top-down approach where the people up at the top are held in, in reverence and everyone else, the you know congregation just kind of grovels at their feet, but that there is a sense of engaging Mm-hmm. Um, the leaders with the people. And so uh, look at who is there in worship. And, and, you know, all of those things kind of start the health guidelines. And then as you walk through that, think about what are you looking to get out of the church? Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe, perhaps, you need to adjust your own heart and your own desires, because Perhaps it's a place where you need to push into the church to commit to to actually engage, rather than just say, I don't like this song, I don't like this preaching, I don't like the carpet, we're going to go somewhere else. Right. Yeah, the carpet's a big deal. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, that's very helpful. Thank you for, for, for talking about that. So uh, when people are talking about Jesus in this scene, kind of doing the postmortem on it, the Monday morning quarterbacking, they say, Jesus had a zeal... Uh, for God's house, and that's what prompted him to do this. Um, how do we demonstrate a zeal for God's house today? Yeah, I mean, that's right, that's the um, the prophecy that, uh, that the disciples think of when they see mm-hmm. Jesus do this. And for us, you know, I, I kind of said a few things, but I, I think the first, <laughs> now, the first thing is presence, right? Showing up, being mm-hmm. present during worship as often as you can. Um, I, I, that's a, that's a big deal. I understand that with, uh, you know, the virus still being out there and with, 
um, concern over health and safety that some people can't show up, that is understandable, and that's Mm -hmm. good. But being present at church and prioritizing corporate worship is, that's how you have zeal for the Lord's house, right? Mm -hmm. And the second thing is is engagement, right? There's, uh, consumerism is just built into us of, I'm going to show up, I'm going to get out of it what I can, and then I'm going to head home. Uh, Don't fight the urge to do that. Fight it, Mm -hmm. right? Don't just take, participate. Right, and that may look like serving. That may look like giving uh, financially. It may look like giving of your time. It may look like uh, participating in one of the programs that the church has going on, or teaching, you know, in the children's ministry or youth ministry or Bible study ministry, or whatever. Right, and then the next one is uh, not just reach, not just engaging like activity wise, but it, engaging relationally or reaching out. Right, look for new faces at church. <laughs> Find people who are visiting and go and introduce yourself to them. Help them feel welcome there. Um, go uh, and if you haven't seen someone in a long time, but you know who they are really well, go and talk to them anyway. If you have seen someone's face, but you don't know a lot about them, go and engage and invest in them, right? Because this is building up the body of Christ, helping people connect to each other and connect to Jesus, right? We are united to Jesus and we are united to each other as we're all united to Jesus. And so engaging, pushing in, giving of your time, of your treasure, of your talents, as we like to say, um, those are the ways that we can demonstrate zeal for the Lord's house. So when um, when Jesus uh, did this, this and, you know, overturned the tables and chased the merchants out, he obviously got the um, attention of the Jewish leaders who confronted him and, and asked him, for a sign to justify his behavior. What were they looking for in Jesus? Yeah, they, they want some proof of authority, right? He is upending the the way that they've always done things, as far as they know, right, from their personal memory. And so they want to know, who told you you could do this? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's possible that they were looking for some kind of Roman authority, but they knew who Jesus was, and so they were looking for some kind of a uh, miraculous sign, like perform some kind of miracle to prove to us that you can do what you just did, and we should accept it as truth, hmm. right? And, and as I said in the sermon, right, in John, uh, Jesus works signs, does miracles in order to help us get a window into the kingdom of God, right? Like for people on earth to be able to witness, to get a glimpse at the kingdom of God, but when people ask Jesus for a sign or demand a sign from him. It's a sign in the Gospel of John as a lack of faith, mm. right? And, and part of what I said is, if, if you break down what is happening at the temple, Jesus is fulfilling at least three Old Testament prophecies. And they should know that as the leaders of the temple, as those who have memorized Scripture, like the Old Testament, they should know this is, this is the fulfillment of what was prophesied. What more sign? What more of a sign do you want from that? Yeah, but they do. Yeah. They want something else. They don't believe. They don't have faith, and they're asking to be for Jesus to prove his authority. And Jesus gives a pretty a, sort of a cryptic answer. He says, "We'll tear down this temple, and uh, I will rebuild rebuild it in three days." Um, so let's talk about that relationship between uh, Jesus and the temple. And what did he mean by that? 
Yeah, and it's it's really important for us to see uh, two things. First, uh, he says, tear down this temple, and it will be rebuilt in three days, right? Mm-hmm. Which is important for us to see in John. John records the words a little bit differently, um, but then what he says is, the disciples, after he had died and rose from the dead, realized he wasn't talking about the temple, physical temple, but the temple of his body. Mm-hmm. Um, and right. so the fact that uh, he is standing in the temple talking about this temple there's some confusion for the people listening, but for us, what we recognize is that Jesus fulfills the purpose of the temple. Now, throughout the Old Testament, we have what are called, um, I just lost, types. 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 Typologies, yeah, yeah. Typology. So a, a type is some kind of person or thing that is a, uh, a shadow of mm-hmm. the uh, thing that it points to, hmm. right? So, for example, the temple uh, was a fulfillment of the tabernacle, right? The tabernacle was given to Israel in the wilderness as they were traveling around as a place for God to live with them, to dwell among them, that could be taken up, and it could be moved as they move, and then re- you know reset up, set the tent back up, so that God would be present among his people. The whole thing was pointing to the fact that there would be one fixed place later. That and I'll God make would a do- quick pitch that go back and listen to the sermon series from Exodus, and you will get a nice explanation of that whole thing. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. the temple the temple is what that was pointing to. Solomon gets to build this temple, um, and it's God's fixed dwelling place among men, which means whenever there are feasts and there are festivals and there are places and times to go and worship God, you go to Jerusalem, right? You go to God's house. Um, that was a type right? Because nothing is uh, more valuable than face-to-face intentional presence. And so what God is showing through the tabernacle and through the temple is that he wants to be with his people, among his people, and Jesus is the fulfillment of that. And so what we see is that he is so intimately connected to humanity by taking on flesh, by becoming incarnate, that he not only is able to have face-to-face interactions with humanity, he understands humans thoroughly because he mm. was human thoroughly, right? He he can sympathize, right? This is what Hebrews talks about, that, that Jesus, as the one who intercedes for us, now understands uh, exactly how we were tempted, exactly what it's like to be human, to suffer, to struggle, and so understands us perfectly. And that's the whole point of God's relationship dwelling with his people, and Jesus fulfills all that. And so he's standing in the middle of the temple saying, you think this place is so good? Mm -hmm. I am the whole point. Like, the temple is pointing to me, and you want a a proof of that? Well, just destroy me, and I'll, Hmm. it'll be built back up in three days, right? Which is the understanding that Jesus died and was raised by God the Father after three days. And the implications today is that if we are believers, um, Jesus dwells in us. Yeah. um, And and he's present to us, right? Filled with the Spirit, yeah. Filled with the Spirit. So, So, but what if we don't feel like God is uh, present to us, even though we know that he he is right. That, I think the the first thing I would say is that if you are feeling like God is not 
present with you or near mm-hmm. to you, um, please hear me in saying you are not alone. And mm. it's not uncommon for you to feel that way. It's really hard to to believe that God is present with his people, to believe that God loves you, and yet to not feel that way. And, and I want to quote uh, something I saw. I want to say it's from... Um, Paul Tripp, who is a pastor, and I please I forgive you me. Mission Impossible. No, not well, Mission Impossible. I don't have those movies memorized. <laughs> um, Paul Tripp is a is a pastor, and uh, I think he posted this recently. He said, um, "All feelings are real, but not all feelings are true." And Ooh, that's good. And being able to recognize that if you are feeling like God is present, that is very real. And it is it is real that you feel isolated from him, and it's real that you feel alone from him. It doesn't mean that it's true. And so what we have to do is understand uh, the truth that God has told us and compare that with our emotions. And part of what what we see throughout Scripture, particularly if you look at like the Psalms, where the psalmist is engaging emotionally with his relationship to God very often the psalmist feels alone, feels like God is distant. And what we see is that he, to to change that feeling, it, he responds to the invitation of God to come simply and humbly, right? It's not like getting the right prayer or, or saying the right thing or, or getting the right habits down, right? A lot of times we think, Oh, I don't feel God's presence. That means I need to read the Bible more, or I need mm-hmm. I need to pray more, or I should I should fast at lunch, or I got to give more of my money away. Right? All of those are really really good things, but it's not in doing those things that we find God. It's in just turning to God and saying, "Where are you, God? What are you doing?" Mm-hmm. Knowing in your head, He is always present with me, but feeling in your heart, you're not here. He wants to hear you say that. I don't feel your presence. Help me see where you're at. Help me recognize you in my life caring for me. I think one of the ways that God answers that prayer often is by bringing other humans to us, mm-hmm. right? Like he uses the spirit that is dwelling inside of other brothers and sisters in Christ, and and a lot of times, too, non-Christians, to care for us and to help us feel His presence. Um, and, and that's a great thing. He may invite you to, you know, read more and pray more and give more and fast. Like, those are, the spiritual disciplines are great ways to respond when God doesn't feel uh, close to you, but, but it's, you can't make Him close to you. He, he's already there, right? Like, I, I think I jokingly said, like, Jesus is before you, behind you, around you, through you, all the prepositions to you, Jesus is. Yeah, um, and I think he, that's St. Patrick's prayer, isn't it? Yes, exactly. Behind me, before me, beside me. Yep. Yes. So let me circle back to something you said earlier in the podcast, and that was, you mentioned this scene uh, in John chapter 2, uh, it's kind of an argument against routine religious behavior. So how do we get past routine religious behavior? Yeah, we uh, you got to take a step back and look at what you do uh, as part of your, you know, routine. Like, 
oftentimes we just go through the week and we go to work and we do the things and we focus on the projects and we come home and then we, you know, play with the kids on Saturday if you got kids or you go out on Friday night if you go out and, you know, then you get up Sunday morning, you get dressed, you go to church, you go home, you have lunch with your community group, whatever, like you just do it and you don't think about it. And I, I think one way to move past just routine religious behavior is to take a step back and go, why do I do this? Why why do I wear certain clothes to church that I don't wear during the week? It's a great question. Why do I pray before lunch when I'm with my community group, but not when I'm by myself? Mm-hmm. Why do I have a community group? Why do I own a Bible, but it just sits on my nightstand? Why do I read the Bible first thing in the morning for 30 minutes? Like, these are all good questions to ask, the questions mm-hmm. of why. And I think what we start to see is that it's just the way it's always been. Um, that's okay. That's not wrong. But it's going to help. Asking why is going to help you engage more with your heart, right? Which is what God wants. Isaiah 29 again. Their hearts are far from me. So instead of just doing the things you've always done, do them, but start by saying, hey, God, I'm going to do this again. Uh, will you show up and help? make this, will you make this special? Will you make this time of Scripture special? Will you make this meal I'm having with these people special? Will you make, you know, my uh, morning in church special? Will you make me watching the service from afar because I can't get there special? Will you be present? Um, And God answers those prayers. He really does. And it just takes, I think, a step back. Now, that's hard, because we're we're we are so busy, we've filled our lives with so much, and um, slowing down enough to take a look at our actions um, act often leads us to uh, uh, you know mental sleepiness. When you slow down, mm-hmm. you kind of get sleepy. Mm-hmm. It helps you check out. You've got a couple hours to kill. What are you going to do? Netflix, Instagram, Facebook, right? You're going to disengage, and so it's the the key is slowing down enough but keeping engaged. Yeah, let's unpack that a little bit, because there's there's a lot of good stuff in there. Uh, When Jesus cleared the temple, he was removing those things that were distracting temple goers from God. What are some practical ways we can remove those things in our lives that distract us from God? Oh, yeah, now we're we're hitting into some (laughs) some fun territory, right? Um, This is where people are going to start... Tune uh, out. Either turning off the podcast or sending yeah. it to people they're really angry at. Do you see? Yeah, I told you you exactly. should do this. Um, That's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, we've got to start by taking inventory, right? Mm-hmm. Take inventory of your of your attention. What uh, do you think about the most? Uh, maybe it's work. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's all of the above. Um, maybe it's nothing. Maybe you don't think about the stuff you do a whole lot. That's important to know. Um, And as you take that inventory, realize that you are a finite human who only has so much uh, mental uh, energy, emotional energy, um, right? Spiritual energy. You only have so much. And so if you realize that you're, you know, using a lot of it on, on things that are distracting from from God, from worship, from engaging with his people, from all those things, and you want to eliminate some of that stuff from your life, that's a hard choice to make. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it's a good choice to make um, in a lot of cases. And and maybe that looks like, you know, choosing to say to a boss, hey, I cannot work 
70 hours a week, 65 hours a week. I just, it's, it's wearing me down, right? Mm -hmm. I was having a conversation with someone recently and um, they had had kind of a, a little relational scuffle with someone and hadn't talked to that person in like a year, right? COVID kind of helped mm-hmm. with that. But, mm-hmm. um, and I said, Hey, you know, like, you know, the right thing to do, you know, that Matthew 18 tells us if, if you have experienced a brother's sin, if their sin is known to you, you should take it to them one-on-one and let them know so that they can be restored. Mm-hmm. And I said, you haven't done that yet. Why have you not done that? Are you afraid they're going to get mad? Are you afraid you're going to lose them as a friend? Are you afraid it's going to cause all these problems? And his response was, no, I feel like I push uh, back on people um, relationally all week long at work. Like, my boss Mm. wants to do all this stuff. He wants me to do some, you know, uh, not under the table stuff, but stuff that's just kind of like cutting corners. It's really hard. And I got to push on him to do the right thing. And so I'm worn out. That's a really honest assessment of why following Jesus has become hard in this particular scenario. What does that mean? Hey, you know what? Maybe you gotta you gotta let your boss flounder a little bit. Maybe you you choose to to find a new job, right? Like maybe, or maybe you just go to that person that hurts you and say, "Hey, I'm I just you you hurt me, and that's all I got for you." Right? Like, you got to, if you've taken stock and you see what's going on in your life, you got to make some choices. Now, here's the thing making the choices to remove stuff from your life so that you're not as distracted on God doesn't make you more loved by God. Right? We're, we can't Good be point. talking, we yeah. can't be talking about this in the sense of, again, a transaction. If I choose a job that has better work life balance, if I don't have my kids do travel soccer so that we can be at church on Sunday, if I, read the Bible more, I will have a better life, a more balanced life, a more peaceful life. God will be closer. I will be happier. We can't be thinking that way because God, God does not work in transactions, right? right? The only transaction that we need to understand happened is when Jesus died on the cross and God makes you aware of your sin and your need for him, and in your confession of sin, you receive Jesus's righteousness and he takes your guilt. That's the only transaction that happens. And it's yeah. God doing all of that work. Mm-hmm. Everything else is done as God is renewing you. And so if you are looking at this going, hey, I am distracted from God. What can I remove? It's not to get a better life. It's not to do whatever. It's to become more like Jesus. And that's mm-hmm. a good thing. It's a very, very good thing. But failing at trying to do that doesn't make you not like Jesus. God's still at work. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah, I tell my kids that there's there's nothing you can do to make God love you more or less. That's right. Right. Well, lots of practical information. It's a great sermon series, Stephen. I really appreciate all the work you, you and Bob are putting into this. Yeah, thanks, Matt. The title of Stephen's sermon is Transaction Denied. It's part of our fall sermon series from the Gospel of John. You can find that sermon and all our sermons and this podcast on iTunes and Spotify and on our website at gracesouthbay.com. You can also find a link on our website to ask questions for this podcast. We're really glad that you're tuning into these podcasts. We hope that these conversations are helping you develop a closer relationship with Jesus. If you have a question about Christianity or just need someone to talk to, we have pastors, elders, youth leaders, and a women's care team ready to help. We're just an email or a phone call away. 
If you have a prayer request, you can also go directly to our website at gracesouthbay.com and submit your requests using the prayer button at the top of the website. And if you're new to Grace South Bay, we would encourage you to fill out the Connect card and one of our pastors will reach out to you. And of course, we'd love to have you join us for Sunday morning worship. We meet at 9 a.m. at Crossroads Bible Church in San Jose. In the meantime, we'll be back next week with another episode of the GSB podcast. So stay tuned, stay connected, and be encouraged knowing that nothing can separate you from God's love. We look forward to our next time together. Now go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks for listening.